Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. It's been quite a while since we last recorded. Uh, in fact, just before we came on air, we were discussing that it's been since after the disappointment of the Villarreal game that we recorded, which seems a, a lifetime ago. But uh, nevertheless, we are back and I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, Andre, and it's uh, it's very nice to be speaking to you uh, again. But obviously, I saw you on Sunday, which was uh, the first time in well over a year that we were actually together, uh, sharing a pint, and it was uh, delightful. Um, it was. in preparation in preparation for the return of fans at the Brighton game, which obviously we'll get stuck into in a minute. But yeah, it was uh, an absolute pleasure to have your company again. Uh, absolute pleasure to have yours. Yes, uh, the Weatherspoon's ultimate burger um, and a uh, Tsing Tao um, combo will clearly have to be our pre-match tradition as we won. So, uh, yeah, great stuff. <laughs> that that tradition is now set in stone. Set in <laughs> stone. <laughs> Um, I think we're going to win 38 games next season. (laughs) Yeah. And we also said that uh, that will be Nicola Pepe scoring two goals in every single game and also Joe Willock scoring in every game. So (laughs) that's how we ensure that happens every single week. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I think there's only one place to start and that is the fact that we were back at the Emirates on Sunday and it was, uh, I can obviously, I'm assuming I can speak for both of us with this statement, but it was just fantastic to be back in the ground watching live football again. Um, It's been well over a year since we were last able to do that. And to be privileged enough to get get a ticket each um, and then to just experience an atmosphere of some variety again was, was an absolute pleasure. It really was. It really was. Um, I wanted to ask you, having having had time to, to think about it and reflect, how did you find the whole experience of like mask on the concourse and being so separated? I know it was so good to be back. I think I uh, feel very privileged we were there. But how did you, upon reflection, if that was your experience for half a season next season, how did you how did you find that? I, I, it's a weird one because I, I, when I got home, I spoke to my dad and I spoke to my mum about it and I said it was a really surreal experience because although it was fantastic to be back and that was my overriding emotion, um, it was bizarre having to wear a face mask. It was bizarre um, being separated from all other supporters, particularly as um, we were in seats on our own without anyone else around us. So it was, um, it felt very... Although you're still in a ground with 10,000 people, it's, it felt very isolated. Um, and I think the biggest thing as well, obviously, it's it's hard enough to get an atmosphere at the Emirates at the best of times. But I think <laughs> the, the, fact, the fact that everyone was so spread out, that any time there was a bit of chanting going along, it was very difficult for that to sort of cotton on around the ground because of uh, the fact that everyone was so spread out. Um, in the first half, a few people around me tried to get the Weirder North Bank uh, chance started. <laughs> and obviously, there's no way the clock in were going to respond because there's no way they could hear the eight fans that were singing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, um, uh, when I reflected on it, I just thought it really lacked atmosphere. Um, yeah. But, but it would. But, you know, 10,000 people in a 60,000-seater would do that so it was amazing to be back but yeah when I, when I thought back I thought oh I really hope that was a real once in a lifetime thing um I know I've got tickets for the Euros which may well have those similar restrictions but 
yeah, no, I, I found it eerie. Um, and I think the strangest thing was the fact when goals went in, and it's hard to know because the goals, I know we'll go into it to, to the proper um, context of everything, but because the goals didn't matter so much, I didn't know if that's why it was a um, subdued celebration when the goals went in or whether that's just what it's kind of like when you've got no one next to you sort of standing up and getting ready to go. It was quite, it was quite strange in that respect, but uh, yeah, it was great to be back. It was. Yeah. I I know what you mean though. It was just, I I mean the whole day itself, like the fact that we were in and around the ground before kickoff and it it just felt so quiet. Obviously we, we were in and around the protest that was uh, outside the armory. Um, But Apart from that, the whole, the, all the streets were fairly bare. And when we left the, the ground at the end of the game, to not have to have that mad rush to the tube and not have all those people there discussing the game, it was, it was a, a, a very different experience. And as you say, it's one that I really do hope is, uh, is an isolated football experience, but still one that I'm enormously grateful to have had, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. Me too. And it, it was... Uh... I think one of the things I found so interesting, I, I love going to matches, um, especially where I sit in the Emirates, and you, you sit as well. We're, we're almost um, polar, we're almost completely opposite uh, ends of the ground, but have a very similar view. Um, is I got to analyse the game and see what shapes we were trying to make and see who was working really hard off the ball. That that stuff you you always miss when you watch on TV, and I loved having that back. That was one of the things I adored and had forgotten, to be honest. I had forgotten what it felt like to watch how much work a player does off the ball to receive it. Um, you know, Odegaard in particular in this game. It was why uh, there was always, I always felt a disparity between people who had been to a game to watch Meza Ozil and people who watched on TV who called him lazy. Because if you ever saw how much work he did off the ball, you sort of went, wow, he does work really hard. He didn't work back. But he works so hard to get into those positions. And I, I loved watching that part back again to sort of uh, analyse the game, which you only really get up a tier in fairness, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, um, obviously, before I had my season ticket in the upper tier, when I was younger, my dad had a, a season ticket in the uh, the North Bank Lower. And it was always really difficult to get a, a, a perspective about the game when you were there. Um, because you just couldn't see where people were making those runs off the ball and you couldn't see, there was no depth to where you were sitting really. So it was really, really difficult to sort of comprehend what was happening. And quite often I would see a goal um, live and then when I see it on the TV uh, in the, uh, later on that day or on the big screen, um, it would be like a totally different experience to what I just witnessed. Um so it's uh, it's definitely it has its merits sitting in the lower tier with uh, obviously a slightly better atmosphere, but I do I do enjoy our, our lofty perches that allow us that opportunity to to see the whole game. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, no, I know we wanted to talk about well, of course we want to talk about that game, but but since we last spoke, we've won uh, four on the bounce and ended the season quite nicely. Um, of course, what the results led to is something I, I know. Uh, I wanted to ask you, with some time to think, how do you feel about the fact we missed out on that final day on the Conference League and particularly the, the manner in which it happened? 
Well, I was at work on Monday and I worked with a Tottenham fan and I was doing a break time duty outside and he was inside the building and he was upstairs and he opened the window very proudly, fist pumping, shouting, pride of North London. And I was I was looking at him and thinking, mate, we're both shit. We are both really, really shit. There's nothing to boast about this season. It's not like it's not like you picked us to the Champions League on the final day of the season. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? When did that happen? <laughs> but um, it's not like that happened. It was you picked us to the Europa Conference League. Like it's nothing to write home about. And if you win the Europa Conference League, you get in the Europa League. So it's yeah. not exactly. Um, I, I, I put it this way, I was disappointed that Tottenham won and I was disappointed that we finished below them. But I think on reflection, particularly, I think, was it you that sent me the list of some of the places that we could have ended up getting or going? I don't think um, I did, but I've seen them. So, yeah, someone sent me a list and it did make me laugh because there were some places, some teams that I've never even heard of um, yeah. from the, all far reaches of Europe. Um Having, but again, having said that, I we spoke about it on Sunday, and I did. You said, "Would you really go to Moldova?" And I said, "Yes, I would. If it fell in half term, I'd be there." Yeah, yeah. So, but, but, so th- there's still a tinge of disappointment because I do love a European away day, um, as as I know you do, and I think from a strictly selfish perspective, thinking about my own habits, I think I'm going to really miss that this season. But from a general perspective about the club, I, I probably don't think it's the worst thing in the world that we missed out on that competition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing is we wear two hats. I mean, I always like to think of myself, um, I sort of think about what the club needs and the team needs more than what I want. Because if I was being selfish, I want more Arsenal all the time. Um, but I've been quite excited about the Conference League I'm sorry, avoiding that and having no Europe. Um, I was going to say, where are you going with this on track? <laughs> no, sorry. I mean, no Europe. Um, because I think it's the best thing for the club. But also, from a personal perspective, the thought of going over to the Emirates to watch our under-23s play against Macedo- Skopje's finest um, <laughs> is, not, <laughs> is not high on my list of things I want to do. And I, I'm, I'm quite interested. I really think this is going to be a one-year holiday from Europe as opposed to anything longer term. Um, so that's why I'm okay with it. I want to say that if we're sat here in a year and we've come eighth again, I will completely retract this comment um, because it, it, it can only be once. It really yeah. can only be once. And what I hope is that this is actually the platform um, for us to springboard and propel ourselves next season into a far more, you know, I want us to be in the race for the top four and with weekly planning, et cetera, et cetera, we should be able to do that. And I just felt the conference league, the Thursday, Sunday thing, we've had it long enough. I hate it as a match going fan. I hate that every game is a Sunday. I don't mind some of them being Sunday, but I much prefer a Saturday, even if it's not 3 p.m. It's just lovely going to a game on a Saturday, especially if you win. And I can say to you, when's your last train? <laughs> and we yeah. can go and celebrate, you know, something. Whereas on a Sunday, that doesn't exist. And I just think that camaraderie and everything that goes with going, fewer Sunday games is far more appealing. Um, and because there will be so many teams playing on a Sunday, 
what with uh, three in the Europa, no, two, is it, yeah, we've got two in the Europa, West Ham and Leicester, and Spurs also playing Thursdays, we're more likely to be on a Saturday. And I only see that as a good thing for, for us as match-going fans, um, more than necessarily the club. Yeah, it's a it's a very valid and interesting and fair assessment of the the whole situation. Um, so I, yeah, I, th- I think it is the, probably the best thing. Um, if there wasn't going to be Champions League or Europa League football, then certainly avoiding the Conference League was probably the best the best possible outcome. Um, and we uh, duly delivered on that. Um, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it's just it's just so bizarre not seeing our club in Europe because obviously in our entire time supporting Arsenal, um, as far back as we can remember, Arsenal have always been in Europe. Um, yeah. So it's 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 bizarre, and it'll be really strange not seeing Arsenal that much during midweek games. But as we said, uh, a big benefit of that is that we'll be in the League Cup second round. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've got my I've got my eyes on a few clubs already. Um, but what I was going to say to you is I remember us losing to PAOK Thessalonica. Um, 97-98, wasn't it? Yes, when you learn that, you don't forget it. Um, <laughs> and I've known that name since I was seven. And I don't think we've, I don't think we've been anywhere near Europe since. Um, but I remember them being in a black and white kit and knocking us out at Highbury, and I cried. Um, but I probably didn't understand then how ridiculous that behaviour was. But... <laughs> I think one of the things it will really help us as a fan base as well is appreciate those European nights. And I'm actually going back a bit further. Those Champions League nights were dull as it gets because it was a divine right we were there. Yeah. And one of the things I always hoped is that people would appreciate what we have. And hopefully this is the, the reset for that. But but we shall certainly see. Um, and talking of a divine right to get there, I mean, if we continue our end of season form uh, into into next season, we'll, we'll, we'll win the league comfortably. Um, how, how have you found the last last four games? So we've had uh, West Brom. Uh, goal scorers for that were uh, Smith Rowe's first Premier League goal, a wonderful left footed strike from Nicola Pepe, and then Willian getting off the mark. Then Chelsea away, Smith Rowe again, Palace away. Uh, a Pepe brace and a Martinelli goal. And then, of course, uh, Sunday's game with a 2-0 win over Brighton. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's been nice to see us winning games. Um, it, the only disappointing thing is that it's it's been fairly meaningless. I mean, the only the only upshot, I think I saw someone, uh, a journalist, write and say that Arsenal, because of their end-of-season form, have basically gained about £7 million in prize money from the Premier League. Get so, it. So that's big. Um, but in general, it's just, I've, I've found it difficult watching the last few games because it's because there's been nothing riding on them, um, with the exception of, of a potential spot in the Euro, UEFA Conference League. Um, it's, it's just been so, it, I found it really hard to get motivated to watch these games. And I've had to do different things. Like I've watched a couple of them with my dad, um, to try and just sort of make it a bit more of an event than it actually is, and uh, that's been quite nice. But mm. overall, it's been it's, it's been a challenge. But it's nice to see us picking up a bit of form, and hopefully, we can transfer that into next season because we really need to hit the ground running next year. 
um, particularly without having any European distractions. It, it's it's so important that we get off to a good start. And I think it's it's absolutely vital for the, uh, the future Mikel Arteta that we do as well. So in a long-winded way that I, I it's, it's been nice, but it's been hard to really get behind and enjoy that much, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the games I think sticks out that's, that's interesting to talk about. Look, I think we should we should beat West Brom comfortably as we did, should really beat Brighton. And uh, Palace, you know, we haven't beaten them in five games, so it's nice to, to, to get that monkey off our back. But winning at Stamford Bridge... Is something we haven't done since uh, Robin Van Persie um, walked past a uh, heroically fallen John Terry um, <laughs> for him to. <laughs> it's still funny. It's um, still funny. <laughs> it's been ten years, and and I wanted to just tell you that I have been um, going to Stamford Bridge. Um, that was the first. That was the last time I didn't get a ticket for Stamford Bridge away. And this was the first year I haven't been in those 10 years. So when we won, you can imagine how I felt. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a it was a, a big win. And it's, it's another one which, we again, we spoke about on Sunday that um, potentially we've got two really big wins this season away at Manchester United, which we don't often do, and away at Chelsea, which we don't often do in our more recent history. So it, it's been nice to get those victories this season, and they've—I'd say that one—that one's probably the one that sort of sticks out in the uh, out of those. Well, it's certainly the one that sticks out of those four four games that you mentioned. But um, the biggest thing for that was that we probably derailed Chelsea's FA Cup efforts with that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I felt um, one of the things that's really stood out this season, despite everything, and uh, I saw we've conceded the third fewest this season, is we'll go on to talk about the attackers and the challenges there. But I have to say, Mikel Arteta has done, from what we were doing under Unai Emery, where we were as open as it gets... He really has tightened us up because that backs to the walls job against Chelsea. We've seen it against Man United. We saw it in the FA Cup um, uh, last season. We really have found the knack of how to do that in bigger games, which is very impressive to me. Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. And uh, I think that's something which probably goes unnoticed because of some of the other in different form, but we were not competitive in the big games at all. And we were, we always had that ability to completely implode. And it's just nice to know that we go into these games and even when the odds are stacked against us, there, there is a feeling that we could do something because of that defensive now that we seem to have developed. So definitely a positive. And if he can combine that with, a bit more consistency against the the so-called lesser teams, um, it would be uh, go a long way to taking us in the direction that we need to go. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, no, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, and let's let's hope so. So there we go. We've discussed the results. Um, I wanted to ask you actually, um, considering we were knocked out of the League Cup um, in in disappointing circumstances uh, 4-1 uh, home to Man City lost in the FA Cup fourth round away to Southampton uh, the pain of the Villarreal loss in the semi-final and finishing eighth in the Premier League um, I wondered if you could rank our season out of 10 
uh, and some justification around it, considering all those those uh, factors. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think <laughs> what what a horrible question. What a horrible question that is. Um, I, th- I it, it's so low for me, so low because I I mean I'm struggling to give it more than a two because <laughs> no, you can't. It's I, not I, a I can't. Two. I, I, I think based purely on the expectations that are on Arsenal Football Club, yeah, um, to perform so poorly in the in the cup competitions, which is something we've done quite well in recent years, um, that's very disappointing. To not qualify for Europe at all is enormously damaging, and the fact that in the middle of the season we were having a conversation about whether this side was too good to go down, um, kind of highlighted how poor it has been. Um, so. I think I'm sticking with it. I think I'm sticking with two because it's just been so, so abject throughout the campaign. And I think the football we've played in general has been pretty dour. Um, Obviously, there's been a few moments within that that you can you can pick out and and go, okay, well, that was that was quite nice. And we we looked like we were getting something together. But in general, I think the football has been terrible. and obviously, the results in general haven't been up to scratch either. So that would be my justification for that low ranking. You give it a two out of ten. Okay, yeah. excellent. Uh, what do you give right. it? I was more like a four because I think we got some oh, <laughs> lofty four. Because um, I think we had, I mean, it's below par. You should never really have a season. If we'd have come sixth with the cup results, I'd have given it a five maybe yeah. a six tops um, and maybe that depended also on how we played um, I think one of the most interesting things about this season is if you look you know post Christmas and that's not a league table it's not really anything but since he knocked a couple of players on the head and since he went with a defined system we've been a good team I don't think been good yeah. to watch I don't think we've been a great team. I don't think we can go, right, this is a benchmark. But we've been a good team. And before Christmas, we were a dreadful team. Uh, 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 you know, you and I had a legitimate conversation about being relegated. Um, and I remember the last podcast we did going, it just doesn't feel like we win very often. Then we win four in a row and look quite good at all of them. We go, yes, it's not enough though, is it? We're just getting greedy. But there's been moments... <laughs> um, there's been moments, and actually, if you if you if we roll the transfer window and what we're about to do, like into this season, um, and the fact Louise is going, the fact Sabios is going, for example, and some, you know, it depends whether we think we've learned the lessons this season. For me, to to, to justify whether you could you could be hopeful because you could take your your stance that it's a two out of ten and and be. You know, God, it's going to be a long way to go from here. But I look at it and go, I think we were six, seven points off the top four. And we could all, I'm sure any Arsenal fan could tell you exactly where those seven points were. Um, yep. They were against Burnley, they were against Fulham, and they were against Wolves. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's not hard to see um, what that was. But, um, okay, so, so uh, moment of the season, Tom. So last year... Last season, we chose Gabriel Martinelli at Stamford Bridge because it was the goal we celebrated the most in a ground um, and just was a wonderful feeling. So by that token, are you going to pick Nicola Pepe's second goal 
against Brighton for your moment of the season, or have you got another one for us? <laughs> it's, it, it's so difficult to to picture those moments because invariably those moments have been celebrated in my lounge. So it's been yeah, it, it's been a real challenge to sort of think about that question and. <laughs> By default, I suppose you could go with Nicola Pepe, one of Nicola Pepe's goals, but <laughs> you I, 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 no, you can't. I think the one, the moment that I celebrated the most was probably the final whistle at Old Trafford um, when we went. When that was the result that it, it was not so much the result. Well, no, it was the result. It's the fact that we win there so rarely. And I know we spoke about sort of a game of the season, which I'm sure we'll come on to shortly. But in terms of a pure moment, a single a single few seconds, I think that when the final whistle went at Old Trafford, because I was so nervous we were going to concede a late equaliser. Um, and that was obviously during the period where it, where it was Arsenal having won away to the, the big, big six in like 30 games or whatever it was. Um, so it was just so nice to get that off our backs. And yeah, I think that moment was the one that really stood out for me. What about you? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting one because before we were doing this, I was looking at why did that feel so good? And it's because we'd gone to Fulham and won. We'd got a last minute winner against West Ham. We had then gone and lost to Anfield, but then we beat Sheffield United. Okay, we lost at City, we lost at home to Leicester, but everyone could see Leicester was a good team. But then we beat Man U and our next set of games were Villa at home, Leeds away, Wolves at home before the North London derby. And it was just that feeling after that Man U game that we've really cracked something. Um, We then consequently didn't win any of those, lost the North London derby, lost the game after it, drew the game after that, lost the game after that. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, (laughs) As was our season. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. And also, when you choose a moment, it's really hard to pick a moment in a cup game where you did eventually get knocked out. Because, like, the comeback against Benfica, so what? At this, like, it, it didn't mean... Because it no longer means anything. Um, yeah. So my moment was... Um, uh, the final whistle uh, of the North London derby at home. Because... Um, I was going to pick Odegaard's goal, but it's not quite true, or Lacazette's penalty. But those moments were just uh, difficult. But it was, it was, you know, we've heard we had it was the symmetry of them being, you know, title contenders in November and us relegation candidates, and that's why they cannot celebrate only finishing a point above us. It's embarrassing for them. It's a shocker. But beating them, especially after Lamella's goal, which won goal of the season. Um, you know, for us to throw that in the face, that was a game they didn't even win. It just amplifies our superiority as a club. Um, so I think that moment for me, despite everything, still managing to win a North London derby was probably um, my moment of the season. Yeah, completely fair, completely fair. Um Go on then, whilst we're continuing with this, who would be your player of the season? I think we're probably going to be fairly close on this one. Yeah, there's only one name for me, and that is Cedric Suarez. No, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> I'm joking, it's, uh, it's Mustafi. No, I'm joking, it's, uh, it's, no, it's, it's Saka, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I tried to get my head around choosing someone else because everyone's saying Saka. I can't even make a case for another player. What about no. you? 
Uh, <laughs> I tried. I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I've I've read quite a few articles and things about player of the season and seen everyone say fairly unanimously Bukayo Saka. And the reason why it's unanimous is because he's the only candidate. He's the only one who has played with any sort of consistency. Um, you look at Kieran Tierney, but he's been. Um, had a season again derailed by injury, so he's missed quite a lot of the campaign. And the only one we could really rely on has been Bukayo Saka. Um, I mean, an honorary mention for Emil Smith Rowe, who's burst onto the scene, but people forget he didn't burst onto the scene until until after Christmas. So again, he's only really been in and around it for half a season. Whereas Saka's obviously been delivering pretty much the whole campaign. So it's uh, yeah, only one man can win that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And then um, w- w- I'm going to ban Willian from your answer here. <laughs> um, I already know all... what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> but biggest disappointment of this season, not not a moment, we'll do that afterwards, but sort of the player that really let you down this season. Um, I would say the one that I was most surprised about is probably been Aubameyang. Um, because he's just not—he's not arrived at the big moments like you'd expect of your uh, your leading marksman and your um, highest-paid player. Uh, so that's been a big factor for me, and I just—I I think his drop-off in form has been so drastic in comparison to what he's done in the rest of his Arsenal career that I, I find it really hard to look past him. Um, obviously, he still had a, had some moments, but you look at his uh, his output in comparison to previous years, and it's just it's it's totally totally different and totally sort of downgraded. So, I think I think him uh, for me. Mm, interesting, yeah. And I, my angle would be Danny Ceballos. Um, oh yeah, great shout! Uh, because I, I remember I was genuinely worried we wouldn't see him play for us again after that cup final. And he even started the season pretty well. I remember him coming on against Fulham, popping it through a player's legs and squaring it. He just looked unbelievable. He looked so good. Um, and then I think I'm right in saying he hasn't scored. Uh, um, I feel like he's, I feel like he might have scored once, like in a really nothing game. I can't remember. Okay. All right, I'll, 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 dig, I'll dig into that. I'm happy, I'm happy if I'm wrong. I don't I'm think not, I I'm not. I'm not sure you are wrong. I just don't think he scored. I can picture his goal against Sheffield United. There's a small chance. Here we go. Goals. Yep. None. So he had uh, uh, 40 appearances, 25 starts, 15 from the bench, zero goals. <laughs> I've just researched it as well and it says Daniel Sabaya shots an average of zero goals per game in club competitions last <laughs> season his average was 0.05 goals per game he scored two goals in 43 club matches <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know not great um, yeah I mean you can uh, no words no words to be honest but yeah, I, I think Danny Ceballos certainly one for me. I mean, I mean, I think we both agree that Willian would be number one, and, and if we can get a shot of him, we simply have fantastic, to. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic um, if we can get rid of him. Yeah, okay, and then and then biggest disappointment of uh, of the season, sort of game or, or moment wise. That's a good question because there's been uh, been so many, haven't there? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
obviously I'll sort of give two here because obviously the first one in terms of biggest disappointment has to, has to be the fact we've missed out on Europe completely. If we ignore the if we ignore the Europa Conference League, the fact we're not in Europe at all is a, is a massive disappointment. But in mm. terms of a specific moment, um, I'm, I'm struggling because there's there's so many that sort of spring to mind. So I think I probably the the one that's made me angriest this year was when Son scored that goal against Arsenal in the North London derby back in, was it November? Yeah. December's when he scored that, yeah. And it was the two goals Tottenham scored against us, actually. Probably more so the, the second one from Kane. Because we just played right into their hands and everyone could see who follows football what was going to happen. And that one made me so angry and so upset that Arteta fell into the trap of what Mourinho was doing. Um, and that, I, honestly, I was I was absolutely furious when that second goal went in right on half time, and how we conceded it. The only the only bit of uh, reassurance I can give to that is is obviously with Party coming off with his injury, which was a big factor into that. But to leave ourselves in that situation that we did um, at the time um, and at that point of the match was just unforgivable from my perspective. So I think that's probably the one that, that stands out to me as a, as a, a major individual disappointment. Mm. Okay, interesting. What would you guys think? Yeah, so so beyond the Villarreal game, which is a bit obvious to say, um, my moment is um, David Luiz getting sent off at Wolves, and it's the reason I'm so disappointed is because for 45 minutes that was the most wonderful football Arsenal have played I've seen in ages, and that moment stopped it all happening it stopped it in its tracks it just that was the end and we should never have lost that game and I think it gave us you know then Leno got sent off and he didn't look the same for a little while we backed it up with a loss at Villa which was just nothingy um and then you know we just never really recovered into sort anything sort of remotely swashbuckling um and I just think the way that red card was given from VAR and the fact it wasn't overturned and the fact it was a straight red amongst some of the other things we've seen this season, that moment for me was just so disappointing and so hard to take. Um, it just had come against a sort of a, um, just a complete series of disappointments. But when I look back at this season, you can almost pinpoint that moment and go, yeah, that was, that was awful. Because you know we just we just drawn at home with Man U nil nil. We'd beaten Southampton. We'd beaten Newcastle. It was coming together, and that was yet another setback. Um, and that's post Christmas. You know that is when we had this supposed upturn in well not supposed we did have an upturn in form. Um, but I think that moment alone was was it. But I'd say the Richarlison goal um, through Leno's legs runs it close. Oh um, yeah. Just from how we ever lost to Everton. And again, I'm looking at this now and I'm looking at Everton at home and I'm looking that that was five days after the Fulham game. I mean, and you look at the marginal varkel, but the fact we couldn't put Fulham to bed and then the fact we've got that stupid goal against Everton to sort of have to live with. This season, I really hope we look back and go, God, we had every call go against us and we weren't very good. And those two together are why we had such a, a disappointment. 
Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> you've summarised really well with those two because I, I, I think I blocked a couple. <laughs> certainly, certainly the Everton one from my memory banks, um, and it wasn't even that long ago, was it? Jeez. <laughs> no, I know, and that's the thing is, but all these, I don't know if it's because we don't go or there's just been so much football. It all just merges into one. I, yeah, I think it is that when you go, you you remember different different sort of elements of the day and little things that trigger your memory. And when it is on TV, you sort of it's it's not like when I when I was a kid, particularly um, when we were successful, I used to watch the end of season DVDs back over and over and over again, and, and that's why I've got such a photographic memory of some of the uh, the earlier days of our Arsenal supporting lives. So. I think now it's 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 more difficult because obviously because it's been such a, a disappointing season we haven't been watching things back to the same regularity that we would if we were if we were winning games so those those things kind of sort of slip your mind but when you were talking about those two incidents I was just sat here with my head in my hands still <laughs> so, so I've not got over them I've not got over them at all <laughs> no no not at all not at all okay um Next up, and sort of, um, uh, I know we've had moment of the season, goal of the season. I'm probably going to say Bukayo Saka's goal at West Brom mm. for for a pure team goal. Um, and I'm always the sort of person that sides with those team goals um, as goal of the seasons, as opposed to... Um, those individual moments of brilliance because we've had a few of those if you think of uh, some of the El Nene Rockets we've had. Um, but I think for a goal that I enjoyed the most and I just, I, I mean, I got up in my lounge and I started applauding and uh, shouting at Laura, what a goal, did you see that goal? And she really didn't care. Um, <laughs> I think her exact response was, it's, he's just tapped it into an open net. And I was just like, no, you don't get it, Laura. You don't get it at all. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that that was wonderful, um, and it's nice that we have had a few moments like that. But that that one for me is uh, is is clear of all the others. Mm. Mm. Okay, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm I'm looking through some goals here. I'm tempted to say Lacazette at Anfield. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what a goal! That was where we thought we were going to be unstoppable and win everything. <laughs> Do you know, I'm looking through some results here. I was looking at uh, Rapid Vienna at home and Mulder at home that we, we scored four against respectively. I could not tell you who scored because um, one of those, Nicola Pepe, scored a sensational goal where he, he dragged it with his left foot and, and, and curled it in top right. Um, I think for strike alone, because um, I agree with you, Saka was my favourite and there was a, a similar Lacazette one at Sheffield United. It was just a glorious move. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Nicola Pepe's against West Brom because uh I just felt that strike was him all over. And I feel like he's got that in his locker. And that was the archetypal Nicola Pepe goal. And I really hope that I look back at that goal as something really momentous, um, as opposed to anything else. And uh yeah, but I love those left footed whipped strikes. I feel like I've been watching Robin do it and then Salah do it. And it's so nice to see one of our own uh, produce a strike like that. Yeah, and I think whilst we're sort of talking about Nicola Pepe, um, obviously his end to the season has been been really, really promising. Um, and 
I think it's really, really important that we get the best out of him because of it, it's he's we we've spoken before about well when do you cut your losses with him and I think I think he's built his form to a point now where he's starting to show what he's capable of on a more consistent basis and I think it's unfortunate that for much of the first half of the season he was uh, sidelined by by the arrival of Willian um, which looks utterly ridiculous now but. It's just nice to see him scoring goals. And I didn't realise that he finished the season on 16 goals, which is obviously a, a decent return for, for a wide player who, who has been in and out the side so much. And obviously, I appreciate a lot of those goals came in the Europa League, but he still managed to get 10 league goals, which is quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you look at it, so Lacazette this season got 17, Pepe got 16 and Aubameyang got 15. Um, and if you added, I know, I know it's like redundant to say this, but if you added 10 goals to each of those players, that's kind of what you'd expect from a front line at a top club. Yeah. Um, but they're all in a, in a line. But yeah, it, it's, I, I thought he's had a pretty good return. And I just hope that he's turned the corner and Arteta's going to give him the minutes on the pitch because he has to. Both those goals on uh, Sunday, maybe Lacazette scores the first. No one else scores those goals. No. Uh, he's our only finish. He's a real finisher as well, isn't he? That's one of the things. I really think he's some finisher. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is another thing we spoke about on Sunday is that it, maybe the issue might be that it, it's difficult to get him and Aubameyang into the same side. And maybe if we had a centre forward, um, more of the style of Olivier Giroud that brings others into play, I think that would really benefit someone like Nicola Pepe. Um, yeah. And I think that's some, something that Arteta's got to really think about in the summer because if he can get someone in of that similar style, I think it can make such a difference to this Arsenal side. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And while we're on him, I think, you know, we, we discussed the important stuff here, but I heard a chant of Super Nick go up um, yeah. in the ground. And I, I'll tell you now, Tom, I was furious because there's two options here as far as I can see it. One is adopting the whole chant for Jared Bowen, which uh, which is uh, he's our star man playing on the right. His name is Nico Pepe, and he's fucking dynamite. Great song, <laughs> great song. Um, <laughs> but I also think if you adapt the Urzil song, there's a, a superior chant here. Now I'm going to add in a bit of French, okay? But you can oh, see lovely. where I'm going. We've got Pepe, Nicola Pepe. I just don't think you understand. He's from Cote d'Ivoire. He's better than Salah. We've got Nicola Pepe. Those well, two there we, there we go. Yeah. Well, the second we are back in an away ground, um, we know what we'll be doing. <laughs> we will. Which did you prefer? Probably the first one because it's... Uh, no French. I, I, Racist. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nicola, look, all I'm saying is Pepe would appreciate the French. I, I, I think you're right. right. He, he would appreciate that. And I think, dare I say it, if we're an away game, I think he would probably give you his shirt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that what you're going for? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think, you know... Yes. You know, I, I, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I think, I think the first one's better. I think the first one's better, but we do need the Urzel chant for someone. Um, and the someone it could be, and something I wanted to talk to you about, is Martin Odegaard. 
Yeah. You. Well, oh, sorry. You want my opinion? <laughs> no, I, I thought he ran the show. He on did run the show. Sunday, and um, I just, I just think, look, we, we, one of the things we have a tendency to do as fans, and something you and I will probably dedicate a podcast to. Uh, is transfers in and out. We might even talk about it now. But one of the things you tend to do is go, yeah, I'll sell uh, I'll sell Guendouzi. That'll get me uh, 10 million. I'll sell Torreira. That's another 10. I've got 20 million. Cronky uh, puts in 20. And there we go. 40 million for Martin Odegaard. Away we go. And it just doesn't work like that. But no. would you, would you, you know, at a relatively not ridiculous price, and again, I sort of don't care about the price, do you think we should do... Uh, we should make Martin Odegaard one of the priorities for this summer. Yeah, I think I think we do need to um, because you asked me on the weekend if I take uh, Odegaard or Buendia from uh, from Norwich um, as which one I'd prefer, and I said Odegaard because I think he's already had that ad- um, adapt adaptation process um, to coming into the, a new league and a new club. Um, he's got experience of playing in top leagues and doing that with with consistency and I think what we've seen whilst he's been at Arsenal in in what is a uh, a really challenging time we've seen a player who can um, take a game by by the horns and really dictate the game um, so I'd be I'd be really keen if we could get him on a permanent but so much depends on what what Real Madrid say, and and if if with no European football we can attract Odegaard, um, like he might have his aspirations might be a little bit higher than than what we are at the moment. Mm. But I think if we can get that done, I think I really think we should. And I think listening to Mikel Arteta after the game, it, it sounds very clear that we want him, and mm. we'll do what we can to to try and get him. Um, whether that's on another year loan or whether it's on a permanent deal, I think. It's something we need to try and pursue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just looking here. I can't actually get his statistics on the official website. No, I was, I was having a look at what sort of how often he's played, what he's done um, uh, for us. And I know he scored um, a very important goal away at Olympiacos, scored in the North London derby, ran the show against West Ham, and then international break and got the injury. The more I, I times. Think, yeah. Gone, what you say? I was just going to say, I think I think people forget about the injury, and it did take him quite a few games to get back up to speed after that. And uh, it's, it's arguable that it wasn't until um, Sunday that he really started showing his best again, because I think he really did was struggling um, after the international break. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, um, I think I think I would I would look to bring him in because I think we underestimate the importance of a number ten. Um, and again, look, this is the joy of having someone like him and Smith Rowe. You know, Smith Rowe can go left and and often we get so hung up on the first 11 and even playing every week. It's a squad game. You need different solutions on the pitch. Uh, you know, what I loved about Sunday, Saka didn't need to play, came off the bench, looked great. You know, if we were level, Saka comes on, changes the game. You know, they, they, you need those multiple solutions because they do offer slightly different things based on the opponent. And I think Arteta's pretty good at setting out that team for the specific opponent when he's got those um, tools at his disposal. Um, okay, okay. Um, we'll, we'll, let's park him for a second. Um, if you had to buy... Uh, play, uh, we're not going to go into to, to selling for this. If you had to buy a, um, a top talent, so let's put them... You know how Kieran Tierney c- could be world-class, but is really, really good. Yeah. Let's just say like 
eight out of 10 most weeks, which two positions would you want an eight out of 10 player in that would improve this team immeasurably? And, and, you know, if you want to throw in who you think they displace, you can. Uh, I think, I think you need an eight, eight out of 10 to go so, alongside Thomas Party. And yep. I think you could make a case that Granite Xhaka is probably the one that would get displayed. Well, he certainly would be if you're saying those two. Um, mm-hmm. But I, th- I still think as, as much as Granite Xhaka is still vital to Arsenal and we're a much better team when he plays in it. But I think we need to find a way of of making that step up from where we are at the moment to where we, we need to be. So as much as I, I'm, I'm a fan of Granite Xhaka and I think what he does do, um, he does well. And he brings so many qualities to the Arsenal side that no one else in our squad does. But I do think we need that that extra bit of quality in the midfield. Um, mm. Now, we, uh, whether that someone might be someone like uh, like Ease Basuma that we we watched obviously and we were both impressed with on the, on Sunday. Um, I know that you you said you were a bit concerned he might be a bit too similar to Thomas Party, but then maybe we're playing into that idea of having a real solid foundation and then allowing the front players to go and do their thing, so to speak. So I think uh, that would be one of my positions. And I think, going back to what I said earlier about having a, a front man that can bring others into into play, I, I, I think that would probably be where I'd target having an 8 out of 10 as well. Because I think if you could have your centre-forward doing that job, um, and also bring the rest of the team into play. I just think it will raise our, our, our whole team up a level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I completely Good. agree. Good, I, agree I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if we could have if we could have three, then then I think if you can get a, a right back in that is of a similar calibre to Kieran Tierney, then then you you're really making progress. But I think those two would be my my first priorities that I'd make. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and one of those midfielders could, of course, be seven in seven Joseph Willock. Um, it, it could be. Yeah, it could. Well we're be. very much at an interesting time. So Joe Willock, Tom, what are you doing with Joe Willock? It's so difficult because you're at a point where where you think, okay, he's scored seven in seven. He's looked really good for Newcastle and you kind of want him to come back and transfer that to Arsenal. But equally, his stock arguably is never going to be higher than it is at the moment. Um, so it's, it's such a difficult one. I'd be inclined to keep him um, and see what he can do in the first half of next season, really see if he can kick on. Uh, and then if he can't, I think maybe then you try and try and move him on in January. But it's it's a real real fine line between what you do and what you don't do in that situation. Yeah. What price would you sell him for? That would make it you know no decision for you. I I I think if you're if you're being offered anywhere that's like thirty million and above, I think that's that's you've got to take that. Um, I, I know you did a poll on, on Twitter, which was for twenty million, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I did twenty. Yeah, so I think I I I don't think it's much higher than that personally. I think between twenty five and thirty million is where you get to the territory where you're like, okay, well, I think I think that's probably about right, and I think you probably have to take it. But uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be inc- I'd be inclined to keep him. What about you? I'd sell him. 
I'd sell him. And and the reason I'd sell him is because I don't think Joe Willock fits in a Mikel Arteta team for more than 10 games off the bench this season. Next season. This season. No, we're probably still, we're probably still in <laughs> next season. <laughs> Getting bogged down in semantics here. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't think he, I don't think he's great on the ball. I think he's a great runner. I think he's a great athlete off the ball. Can he score from midfield? Yes. Um, do we desperately need that? Yes. Does he still need to start almost every week to be able to produce that? Yes. Who is he playing instead of? If we if we went into a game and Emil Smith-Rowe wasn't playing for Joe Willock in the number 10, I'd think yeah. something's... I'd, I'd worry about... Yeah. I think you've uh, kind of hit the nail on the head there with that comparison because, per- personally, I know you can look at the goals output, but Smith Rowe is light years ahead of Joe Willock, in my opinion. Uh, absolutely clear of him. Um, and I think his potential is so much higher. I think Willock's gone into this this little spell where he's been um, prolific and it had a real purple patch. But I just, it, it doesn't, it's not the sort of thing you can imagine for a second being sustainable. Um, so you, you're probably bringing me more around to your line of thinking with that that comment. <laughs> but can I give you the biggest reason I think it's so important? If your academy has managed to get you 40 million for Alex Iwobi, manages to get you something for Ainsley, something for Eddie, you know, we'll discuss that. I suspect, judging by how long we've gone, we'll discuss that later on. Um, but And you've got two players in the first team in... Uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe that have come from your academy. You chuck in whatever you can get from Joe Willock uh, as a revenue generator and the people who are running the academy deserve a knighthood because that is exactly how you use your academy. You get the top, the cream of the crop. Uh, that always, that's always uh, brings about a different emotion. But the cream of the crop go into the first team or the first team squad and the rest you make a load of money out of. That's how Liverpool did it. For so, You know, not, it's not exactly how Liverpool did it, but they made fortunes out of Ibe and Solanke and just general dross out of their Brewster. Yes, exactly. And look, I'm not saying Willock's dross. I, 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 you could convince me we should play Willock for 25 games next season and I probably wouldn't have a problem with it and could see what you were thinking. Um, but realistically, if you can get that out of your academy, what a, what a value. What a value to have for, for us as a club. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really fair. Um, and you, you forget, like, I don't know if you said Reese Nelson in that mix as well, which you'd like to think we could get get a little bit of money for as well. So that's another one you could potentially bring some revenue in. So, yeah, the, the academy definitely doing their job. And uh, like you said, the fact we've got two first-team regulars now that have come from the academy, it speaks volumes for for what they're doing and uh, long may it continue. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I, I, I'd love nothing more next season to see Joe Willock playing for Arsenal, continuing his run and beating Jamie Vardy's record first five games of the season. Um, but something tells me that that just isn't going to happen. Um... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it will, but uh, you never know. Football's a funny old game, Andre. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um uh, do you do you want to go into the array of players we might choose to get rid of? I think what we should do is save that for another podcast. 
And I think we should do a, a whole podcast around transfer activity because I think in the coming days or weeks, we're going to see a lot more uh, links with other players and things like that. And I think we'll start to get a better idea about who may be on the uh, the exit list as well. So I, 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 th- I think maybe park that until next week and we'll, we'll see where the land lies. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me because there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Yeah, um, I, I, I think there's probably a podcast worth right within that anyway. So I, I'd say that's probably the best best course of action. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and last but not least, um, your your uh, and we'll refresh this as the summer goes on. Not every week. We finished eighth. Where do you think we'll finish next season? <sighs> hmm. I think. I think we'll finish sixth. I think we'll okay. make a little bit of progress and I think we'll be back in the Europa League. Um, but I I think sixth it would be my okay. what I'd say right now. Where, where do you think? Uh, we're going to win the league. We're going to win the league. I like that. I like the optimism. <laughs> so there we have it. You heard it here first on the Boys in Red and White podcast. We are winning the league next year and we're going to have a party to celebrate it. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, and again, look, I know I just, I'm sort of cheating because you, you didn't do this, but I'm going to caveat it. If we ship out at, uh, and do what we need to do and have a, a core 18, uh, I think we'll get top four. I think we will actually get top four. And I think, um, if I'm totally honest, I think we should get top four. Um, I think if you look at all the challenges every club has in Europe... We are, if we do our recruitment right, we should be able to, and I'm not saying, you know, we may have the sixth best team, but we should be able to elevate ourselves to a level that gets us five, ten more points and gets us in the top four. Fair, very fair. Um, And I hope you're right. I really hope you're right and I'm wrong. Um, And it's not often I say that. So (laughs) (laughs) We're finishing 10th. Uh, <laughs> yeah, bloody hell! Hope not. Hope not. Hopefully, it will be top four. But we'll uh, we'll see. Discuss that as the summer transfer business sort of uh, unravels. So, uh, what leads me to say is thank you, Andre, for your time as always. It's been uh, very, very enjoyable. And I'm going to just say again, it was so nice to see you on Sunday. So it nice to see you. It was wonderful, wonderful, and wonderful to have this back. But yeah, it was. Uh... Special, special to to see you after such a long time. And uh, yeah, I'm already excited for next season. There's a lot to come in your life between then, as as you know. (laughs) Yes, I'm fully aware that I'm getting, I'm I'm due to get married in the, uh, in the off season. So uh, that is a a potentially very big moment in my life. So uh, not as big as it will be when we get top four, but that's not not yeah, not as big as that. It's a good thing Laura doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) She might be she might be marginally offended, but uh... (laughs) love it. Okay, so thank you very much for listening to the Boys in Red and White podcast. If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for the Boys in Red and White. Um, And if you'd like to go to our website, it's www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening as always, and we'll be back very soon with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.